On this episode of the Nature's Living Show, academia, treating sexual abuse, felicity, and a whole lot more. This episode of the Nature's Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Nature's Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional nature's values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to this episode of the Nature's Living Show. It is, well, it's now August. This is really the July show. I apologize. It's been a very, very busy summer. Uh, I've taken on an awful lot of responsibilities and uh, between the INF and Bear Oaks and other jobs and, of course, my family and everything else. Um, it's been very busy. And so I apologize for the delay, but we are catching up. You will have two shows within a week or so of each other because I'm producing both of them in August at the same time. So you will have two shows. The next one coming up is all about the vagina monologue that we performed here at Bear Oaks, and it's fantastic. And uh, on this show, we have a whole bunch of interesting topics that I'm catching up on, and even more in the, uh, in the can for the September show. That should be just a few weeks after that. So... You're getting everything you paid for, if you will. So don't worry, we are catching up, but I apologize. I thank everybody who expressed concern again that I was late. Um, I apologize to everyone who's been looking and expecting the show, but here we go. So uh, the last show I talked about marketing, and there was a great response, and I appreciate everybody who wrote in, and uh, a lot of people were listening to it. And I, I I hope I can help some people. I hope I gave some insight to some. Um, I hope it helps. And, uh, you know, marketing, as I was saying, is an ongoing all the time thing. You can't do anything overnight. You can't do anything instantly. Things take time. You have to have a strategy and you have to work at it for years. And it slowly builds and you build momentum. And then it's hard to stop. Uh, But once you stop it, it's hard to start again. So don't ever stop. And I had a good example. There was a a couple here. I always talk to people. when they, whenever I get a chance, uh, who are new for the first time to understand why they're here, what worked, what didn't work. And I thought this was a great example. This young couple was here, and uh, they'd been talking for a few years about going. He'd been talking about it for a few years about coming. And then uh, last year, she read an article from Best Health magazine uh, that was really well written um, from the standpoint of a woman. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I think I've mentioned it before, but I'll put a link again because it's well worth it. And uh, that convinced her that she wanted to try it. Um, what was fascinating at that point is she became the instigator. She became the one pushing more to come uh, to Bear Oaks, to the park. And, uh, they, of course, they had a fantastic time, and they said they're going to come again. But it shows you that was last year. So he was interested a few years ago. They'd been talking about it. She was in very interested as of last uh, spring, but they didn't come until this June. So it takes time. Marketing takes time. And this is especially when it comes to naturism. Naturism, again, is not something you just decide to do on your way home. You know, you see you see a sign along the highway that says there is a mushroom farm at your passing. You might just pull over and go do it. This is not the same kind of decision. It takes a lot more thinking because people are so messed up in terms of their body. This is such a stressful idea. This is such a scary thing for most people. It takes a long time for people to decide. Plus, we're busy, so it takes a while. 
And similarly, um, you know, we, we there's opportunities for marketing everywhere. Um, there's, sure, there's the advertising. That's the traditional way. But another couple of examples. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Christine, and her and her mom have given them uh, Bear Oaks mugs. Now, they haven't come here, at least not yet. I still have hope. But what they do is they love their Bear Oaks mug. And this is funny, by the way. They go all around their textile campground carrying their Bear Oaks mug, which has cartoons of naked people on it. And I've said before, it's a great tool to introduce naturism if you're a naturist. But of course, people are afraid to say they're a naturist. They're, and a lot of people who are naturists don't tell anybody. But if you want an easy way to introduce people to the fact you're a naturist, you carry this mug around. It's got cartoon nude people drawn by Stephen Crawley. I'll put a link to the, uh, the the mugs if you want to buy one. We do sell them online, and we'll ship them to you. It's a little expensive because shipping of a mug is, is very expensive. But if you want them, come and buy it here, or you can uh, get your own, make your own. It doesn't matter. But when you walk around with a mug that says naturism, people will ask you, and that gives you a chance to talk and explain. But what's fascinating here is they're not naturists, and they're still happy walking around telling everybody about naturism. So within their campground, everybody's aware that there's a naturist park. Everybody's aware of Bear Oaks. And I guarantee you there are people there that are thinking about it, that may be looking on the Internet. They might see the signs on the highway. They might see an article and say, hey, that's that place that Christine and her mom told us about. That's what marketing is about. It's getting people talking, getting people thinking about it, getting the information out there. Similarly, we have all these suppliers that come. And uh, when, don't forget suppliers, people, the UPS guy, the guy that delivers the uh, frozen ice cream. Those are all potential um, converts. Even if they do not become naturists, they, you know, they, as they come, they leave here and they've learned something, they've seen something, they have a story. It's a great story, and they love to tell this story. Everybody loves to tell the story, how they went to the nudie place. And they talk about it over dinner, and they talk about it at the barbecue they have with their friends. And so it's because it's such a fun story to tell. And so as a result, more and more people hear about Baroques and hear about the natures. It may not, may not be the perfect message, but I guarantee you people will hear that, and they might laugh because you know everybody's going, ah, funny, funny, funny. But they'll go home, and they're thinking about it, and they'll look into it, and they'll read about it online. And that might get them to come here. So marketing is everywhere. You're always marketing. You're always finding ways to get your message out there. You can't do it too much. And more, most importantly, you can't do it through too many different avenues. One of the things that slowed down this podcast was the fact that I was gone for two weeks in France in July. And as you know, we had the trip to the C CHM Montalivet in France. I was there last September. Ironically, I'll be there again uh, this September, uh, just in a few weeks, as a matter of fact, because I have the INF uh, board meeting, which is at Montalivet this year, because it's the 60th anniversary, 1953. The International Naturist Federation was founded at Montalivet. There's a monument there, and uh, it's a uh, monument to... The founding, it's in the place where they had the first meeting and where the Federation, the International Naturist Federation was founded. And uh, we are celebrating that. We're going to, the, the monument is going to get renovated. A new plaque will be attached to it. And we'll have, a, uh, we're going to do a, uh, a, a workshop on uh, youth and naturism and attracting new people to naturism. Uh, we're going to have, there's going to be dinner, there's going to be discussions. Lots of federations are going. Of course, anybody's welcome to come. If you are listening to this in Europe and you want to uh, come to the INF, it's at the CHM Montalivet in Bordeaux on September, the weekend of September 21st to 22nd. 
uh, good prices because it's in September. So, and the weather out there is often beautiful. So, if you're there and you come and say hi, tell me that you heard about the podcast and you were listening because I always enjoy meeting listeners. But it was a great, great trip to France. Everybody who was there, we were 29 in the end, really enjoyed it. So, it's going to be an annual thing. So, if you missed it and you think you want to go, um, you uh, look, keep an eye out for an announcement. I'll certainly talk about it here, but we'll announce it on the Baroques blog. Uh, that's blog.baroques.ca. And, uh, or you can get through it through the Baroques website, baroques.ca. And uh, we'll make an announcement because I think we can do this uh, once a year. I mean, I think if uh, Bear Necessities can cr- have three cruises a year, one of which has 3,000 people on it, surely we can organize uh, one trip to Europe a year with 50 people. I mean, that's just a whole different uh, nature's experience. And uh, it's a wonderful chance to get into the culture and you know if you want to hear more about Montalivet I have a poll podcast on Montalivet and I'll put a link to that as well I also wanted to mention um, if you know about Reddit uh, Reddit is a uh, how to describe it it's a it's like a uh, news site where people are either posting news items or they are posting links to news items and uh, the the Reddit users become Redditors by ranking them and ordering them and giving them values, essentially. So you get the most important news uh, near the top based on popular opinion. And there is a Reddit uh, group community, if you will, uh, for nudism. Uh, Reddit.com slash r slash nudism. And it's got some interesting stuff, pretty active. Uh, the organizers wanted me to mention on the show, and I'm happy to mention it because... Uh, Anybody that's doing anything to promote naturism, I'm there, and I'm there to support it. And, of course, they are fans of the show, too. So thank you for writing in. Thank you for letting me know about the Reddit uh, nudism area. I uh, very much appreciate it. I enjoyed reading some of it. I'm not as involved as I could be because there's so many things to follow. But whenever I get a chance, I do enjoy going through those articles. So if you want to get involved, there'll be a link again in the show notes to the Reddit nudism community. The uh, Federation of Canadian Naturists Festival was uh, at, back at Bear Oaks this year, which is great. Uh, I'm glad they go around because it really shouldn't be just about Bear Oaks. It should be about uh, all of Canada. As it is, it's very Eastern-based because of the cost of traveling. Um, and the fact that for some reason there's no big uh, clubs out west that can support a festival either. That'd be kind of tricky. But um, last and last year it was at the Pomerie in Montreal, which I've done a podcast for from as well. And it's a wonderful club as well. So I'm glad that they were there. But it was nice to have everybody back because it brings a lot of energy and a lot of interesting thoughts in all the discussion groups and seminars that are held. But it also brought up uh, Jordan and uh, Felicity from YNA. And uh, as you know, Felicity has been a regular contributor. But while she was here, we thought it'd be fun to uh, record it as a together as opposed to her just talking and recording a separate segment. So we had a little chat. So, hi, Felicity. It's great to have you here at the uh, FCN Festival. It's kind of fun. We get to record together. Hi, Stefan. Yes, this is a lot of fun. Uh, we just came up to Bear Oaks for a few days, and we're it's our first time here, so we're really enjoying it, and um, we're happy to do this podcast together in person. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And you know what? I, th- I think we should keep talking instead of like doing the pre-recording things. Maybe we can, you know do Skype chats, because I really like chatting with you. I think we have a lot of fun when we talk about stuff. 
Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot that that we both uh, encounter. And me running an organization, you owning a resort, so um, I think it'll be more interesting, more fun to have dialogue. Well, I saw on the YNA speaking of dialogue that you have a uh, a blog entry that Jordan did about erections. That seems to piqued a lot of people's interest. Yeah, we decided to publish an article, just a, a general information. Um, about erections and also talk about it in the context of naturism. And it's a huge topic. The article has over a hundred comments on it. Now I wanted to talk to you about them because we brought up a couple of questions and, you know, in the naturist world, we have our, our standard etiquette And every, basically every nudist club or resort you, website you go to, the question is there because it's the most asked question from guys who are about to try naturism, which is, what do I do if I get an erection? The answer is basically cover it up, relax, or go in the water until the moment passes. What I started to ask is, well, should we be more tolerant toward erections? Because... We always think of them as a sexual arousal response, but it is possible to get an involuntary erection for other reasons. You know, you just you're playing sport, you get a rush of blood to that area. Um, you know, you're a teenager, and I guess the wind blows. <laughs> That's what they say, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's true, but you know, the thing is, there's also I I think. People talk about erection, but there's like a whole scale of erections, right? I mean, if people are just talking about that the blood's rushing, you're not going to get a, you know, let's fly the flag full on, as you said earlier, full tent erection. So um, I think people, it depends what we're talking about. I mean, how often have you seen erections when you visit all these clubs and resorts? I have only seen one one time in my entire life, and It actually was just this summer at one resort we were visiting, and that was the first time I'd ever seen one. I mean, it seems like they, erections are just talked about a lot more than they actually happen, uh, and guys, a lot of guys are just worried for nothing. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think I, I saw it once. Uh, like, I mean, I mean, you see, if you're really looking, you see, you know, guys are or shall we say, you know, there's more or less shrinkage or more or less a little bit more elongation and things like that. And I don't think anybody would interpret that as an erection as long as generally, uh, you know, everything's pointing in the area of gravity. That's, I don't think anybody would really perceive that as an erection. Uh, but I've seen once a really like above the horizon kind of erection and clearly the guy wanted everybody to see it. And that, I think that's what people... Uh, are, are saying is just not appropriate now, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it would seem like that unless the guy is really thinking about sex and um, trying to stimulate himself, that if he does get an erection, it would really just last a few seconds and not even be that noticeable. Um, but But also the question is, if if a guy does get whether voluntary, I mean, you know, involuntary erection, I guess, um, should he have to cover it up? Well, I, again, I, you know, it, it has to, I think it has to do with respect to a certain extent. Be, people will interpret it. Whatever your, is the reason people, if it's like a real, like, again, a really 
big erection, shall we say. Um, you know, his penis is like, you know, again, above the horizon kind of thing. Uh, people will interpret that as being sexual, whether it is or not. And I think you have to be uh, somewhat aware of people's perception and somewhat respectful that you don't want to make anybody uncomfortable because they don't know what you're thinking. So unless you, you know, go around and you say, it's just an automatic reaction, sorry, you know, people are not going to be sure. And why would you... How? It's so rare, at least to me and to everybody else I've seen, that it doesn't seem like a big deal that if it does happen that you would just, you know, take a minute because it only takes a minute, Right. I mean, like when you saw that one that you were talking about, what was it like really obvious? What do you think the context in there was? Yeah, it was a, it was a full-on erection. Um, and I really don't know what this guy was thinking. Uh, it was kind of by a nature trail, and it was away from everybody else. And I have no idea. Uh, it was just very odd. He didn't try to cover it up. Um, but I kind of, we kind of walked away quickly. We were on our way through the woods. Um, and I don't know. I mean, you know, what, what we do say all the time in the nature's world, people do say, oh, it's so rare. You, you hardly ever see it. Um, but maybe we shouldn't say that because it's only going to make guys feel more, um, aware, more, um, it make them feel more self-conscious, I guess, you know. Oh, so that means if I do get one, you know, I'm 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 really in the minority, and and everybody's gonna like stare at me, and I'll feel so embarrassed and humiliated because you know there are guys who won't try naturism for the fear of getting an erection. So I'm wondering if maybe we even need to change the language that we use, or or change the way we approach it, so as to not not freak people out about it, or make it seem like it's uh. You know, maybe we need to, to take a more tolerant approach or change it. I mean, what what do you say for bare oaks? Well, and that's a good question. I mean, we the first thing we say about erections is that erections are normal and they're okay. Um, but then we, we do say they're very unusual because it's true. They are unusual. Guys, I think, who've never been here have a hard time imagining that they can be around a bunch of uh, naked people, that be nude, see attractive uh, women nude and not get an erection. And when I when I talk to them, I usually say, "Look at it this way: You know very well that when you are nervous and you're feeling anxiety, that it's not working very well. <laughs> it's hard to for a guy to you know keep a heart on for example when they you know they know there's people walking around behind them or that they might walk into the room at any time. That can really affect your ability to do that. So first time they come, they're nervous, so it's not really working that well anyway. And but once you're used to it then you realize that there is no sexual aspect to it. So that's what I try to explain. That's what we sort of say in our, uh, uh, you know, questions, frequently asked questions or first-timer questions. Uh, but, you know, I have a hard time, yeah, I have a hard time imagining anybody who who still after that has an erection believes that they should be treated in, as normal, ignored by everybody so they can walk around flying the flag. It... it, it because I don't think it is normal at that point. You know, it, it, it's hard. I, I think there is something else going on. We did have one person once who uh, was in a wheelchair and had had an accident, and he would get erections 
uh, very easily because there was some uh, damaged service system, nervous system issues. But then again, he was in a wheelchair, so it wasn't that obvious that he was walking around with that kind of thing. So I don't know. There's a lot of comments in, in the blog about it. Um, I think people should just go to the blog and continue the discussion. I think it's a good discussion to have. Well, I just want to say, even that you saying that they are normal and okay is actually kind of different. I mean, I never read that, even on news club websites. Um, they're not really coming from that perspective, I guess. Um, so, I mean, we are, YNA is, is trying to be uh, sex positive and have a sex positive philosophy um, because sex and sexuality is also very taboo and I feel like if people were more uh, tolerant of sexual orientation and, and sexuality then nudity would also be more tolerated um, because when we are naturists the controversial part of it is that we're exposing our, our genitals and which are considered uh, sexual organs so yeah go to my blog uh, our website you'll see the article um, on the homepage, and you'll see the uh, discussion going on there at yna.me, yna.me. It's an easier URL to remember. So you may be wondering why I titled this particular episode uh, Academia, amongst other things. And that's uh, because we're going to talk about it now. I think that... Um, Connecting naturism to uh, academics is very important um, because it academics, academia, the uh, the real research out there, the peer-reviewed journals, the properly done research is what gives a movement like ours a credibility. And there's tons of support in that area. So it's not just that it feels good and we like it and so therefore we want it to be good. It's that there's actual evidence that it is good, good for people, good for children. Um, and, and we've had people talk about this. You've had uh, Mark Story on. We've had him on the show a few times. And he teaches as a professor at a college in Washington. I can't, Washington State. I can't remember actually uh, which college off the top of my head. Uh, you may know Dr. Paul Rappaport, who was the editor of Going Natural for uh, many, many years. Um, and is still very involved in the Federation of Canadian Naturists and the Naturist Society. Um, there's lots of very uh, intelligent, uh, very uh, interesting people. In fact, that's one of the things I really love about uh, running Bear Oaks is that I get to meet people from all over the world, people with all kinds of interesting ideas, people who really think. Um, I think in general, you know, if you're going to be a naturist, it's not something you do because everybody else does, obviously. So you've thought this through, and there's a, an intellect, an intelligence that goes with being a naturist, uh, which is always interesting. It's always interesting to hear and talk to people about their views and sometimes sit around and debate and discuss what it means and why we are what we are and what we do what we do. So I really enjoy that part of, of naturism. And uh, I, um, I also think it really adds a lot of credibility to it. And I, I think that the more academic connections we can make to the movement, the better, the better for our credibility, but also for ourselves, because it's easy to say that something is good because we think it is, and uh, but that doesn't make it so. 
it, it what's what's important is is the facts. And the, the example I always love is sex education. You know, there's lots of research that has been done. It's a very clear fact that the countries that have the most sex education have less sexually transmitted diseases and less teen pregnancies. Yet, in certain countries, some of which are in North America, people still believe that you should uh, keep sex education out of the schools and away from children because teaching about sex will lead them to having sex. Obviously, that's not stopping anybody. Obviously, it doesn't work. The facts are clear. But people still insist on making decisions. And I think the people who make decisions like this, the people who make statements like that and ignore the facts look ridiculous. And uh, hopefully we don't do the same thing in naturism and we, we do stick to the facts and, and the research and the reality of uh, what is good about naturism. And I was really, in some of my research, I'm always looking for new uh, research, new journal articles, not always about naturism directly, but about topics that are relevant to naturism. And in doing that, I came across a course, a graduate-level course, um, not in naturism, but essentially about naturism. It was about... uh, uh, how nudity is handled in different societies, and all the references though were naturist books and naturist journals and articles that I'd read, or most of them anyway, that I'd seen in the past. And I was fascinated because it was given at U of T. At the, that's the University of Toronto, for those of you who aren't from Canada. At the University of Toronto, for those who are not local, is uh, quite a venerable old university. It's It's one of the top universities in Canada. In fact, in the world, it's always ranked in top 10 or 20 on the various scales around the world. Uh, it's got nearly 50,000 uh, enrolled students. It's uh, it's 200 years old. Um, I think it's the oldest one in Upper Canada. Um, it's uh, it's if for Americans, if we had an Ivy League, this would definitely be an Ivy League school. A lot of Nobel Prize winners and a lot of discoveries, like I think in, I know insulin was discovered there, for example, because of research there. So a lot of things have come out of the University of Toronto. So it wasn't just a course anywhere. It was a course at a very prestigious university. And it was given by Dr. Paul Thompson. And during the FCN Festival, I had a chance to uh, sit down and meet with him because uh, he's discovered Bear Oaks, uh, along with his lovely wife, Jennifer. And uh, he likes the type of philosophical naturism that we have here. And so he's really enjoyed Baroques. And so I had a chance to sit down with him and chat about the course that he taught at the University of Toronto. I'm a professor at the University of Toronto, and I teach ecology and evolutionary biology. I teach mainly uh, evolutionary theory and evolutionary dynamics, more on the mathematical side. And I teach a philosophy of biology course in the Institute for the History and Philosophy of Science and Technology, a name that was a compromise when they created the unit among a bunch of competing forces. Now, we have an audience all over the world, and so uh, University of Toronto, tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of institution it is. It's a large institution, and it covers the entire array of disciplines. It has a faculty of medicine, faculty of law. The only thing it doesn't have is agriculture, but it covers everything else. And uh, the Faculty of Arts and Science is organized as a single unit. So you don't have barriers between social sciences and humanities and the sciences. And my appointment straddles the sciences and the humanities. Uh, Sometimes people think the philosophy is the odd part of humanities, but uh, it uh, 
is in humanities and every university. So uh, it's a major institution. So a few years ago, you taught a course that I think would be of special interest to our listeners. I did. I taught a course on uh, the philosophy of the body, and it focused on nudism, and covered a range of issues. It's, it's a fascinating uh, way of getting into issues that are religious, issues that are ethical, issues that are legal, uh, social changes that take place, the degree to which attitudes change. And uh, one of the things that we looked at was art. And you look at Rubens' ideal woman, and then you look at the ideal woman today as portrayed in art, and it's very different. Rubens has very fulsome women, and today, the thinness of women contrasts a lot with uh, Rubens' models. And so we looked at some of the legal issues in Canada. We looked uh, historically at the rise of naturism in Germany, how it got connected even to the scout movement in Germany, uh, how it fared under Hitler, and that was a very complicated uh, period. And there's some great literature that documents the naturist movement in Germany from the pretty much the end of the Weimar Republic uh, forward. And so uh, how did you come to design this course and uh, put it together? What was your motivation? Well, I'm a naturist, and I had done an incredible amount of reading on naturism, both uh, historical as well as a lot of reading on the ethical controversies, the legal nature of the treatment of naturism in various jurisdictions. And so I was interested in working through all of this with some students, and it was a graduate level course, to see what their reactions would be and to find out whether reading the literature made people understand naturism more. So I assumed you had to get the approval from somebody at uh, the university, and how did that go? Uh, that wasn't a problem. I, the work that I normally do is sufficiently rigorous that I was not going to be open to the charge of, you know, he's kind of a soft scholar. Um, I have held senior administrative positions at the University of Toronto, including a vice president's position in charge of the Scarborough campus, the UTSC, University of Toronto at Scarborough. And I did that for about 14 years. So I had lots of connections in the university and lots of credibility. So I think it's a bit like uh, Charles Darwin's success when The Origin of Species was published. He was just such a respected scholar in so many other ways. He'd done fabulous work on barnacles. He'd written on geology. So that when The Origin came out, even people who hated it couldn't undermine his credentials and had to at least take seriously that here was somebody who was putting an argument forward. So as long as you've got that kind of credibility, then you're not going to run into difficulties. Uh, and universities are known for off-the-wall kinds of stuff and academic freedom. And it would have been odd if somebody had said you couldn't, you know, can't explore this topic of nudism, naturism, or philosophies of the body, images of the body. So what was the reaction then of the student body? Um, well, let me start with the reaction of some of my colleagues in jest. Um, I, I got an email from one of them saying, is there going to be a field trip associated with this course? Another one, uh, is there a lab component to this course? Uh, so there, there was a lot of bantering uh, of that kind. The students who took the course enjoyed it, uh, learned a lot, 
they were, they were excellent students, and they did all the readings and had lots of insights into things in the readings that they found not compelling, and others they found quite compelling, which is typical if you go across a range of literature. They, at the end, I think, had a much better understanding of naturism, but more than naturism, they had a much better understanding of some of the sociological dimensions we explored. So we looked at Ruth Barkhan's book, uh, Nudity, and it really is an attempt to look at the way society, it's through the lens of nudity, but how society has exploited clothing, how they've exploited women in particular, and exploited them through the use of clothing and the teasingness that clothes can uh, provide an opportunity for. Uh, we some of what she does is in how advertising works, and you take a look at some of the ads for fashion accessories, and you can see quite clearly, and there's lots of pictures in the book to demonstrate, that you can see quite clearly how the clothing world, the textile world, is actually a world there to be exploited by uh, the media and by advertisers. And uh, you were teaching this at a graduate level, so do you think the reaction would have been quite as serious if it was an undergrad course? I would have, I would have expected more students who were there to... Uh, how do I put it, uh, kind of see what this is all about, and they would have been disappointed, most of them, because there's a lot of readings, and they were quite serious readings, and so it wasn't a kind of lark. And I suspect a good number, I'd, I could pack a lecture hall if I were to do this as an undergraduate course and uh, just put nudism in the title, or social nudism, or public nudity. And there would be a lot of students who would come uh, just out of uh, fascination. Some that would come because they thought this was going to be some kind of bizarre sex course. And all of them, as I said, would have been, of those would have been disappointed because once we started looking at Supreme Court decisions, for example, that was the graduate students worked their way through that. But it's a complicated process of jurisprudence. And I think undergraduates that weren't there because they were really interested in exploring the dimensions of naturism, nudism, would have left probably before the drop date without penalty, which is usually halfway through the course. So do you think of those who took the course that uh, you changed the way they viewed uh, nudity or the human body? Uh, I know for sure in one case, because the students, this is a small class because graduate courses are nothing like undergraduate courses, but one of the students uh, said, well, I think this summer I'm going to go to a naturist uh, place and see what it's like. So it definitely changed that person. Another person um, had not realized, this was a student that was uh, studying history of science more than philosophy of science. Uh, it was a history and philosophy of science course, and so students from across that divide could take it. And she was fascinated with the historical changes from the Greek times especially, but you can document it even before that, up until the present with respect to the human body and naturism. And what most people don't know is that in ancient Greece, the gymnasium was the place to uh, work naked, to, to study naked, to have athletics naked from gymnos, the Greek word for nudity, nakedness. 
So starting there and realizing the attitudes that they had, and then seeing how even the early Christian church leaders were much more open to nudity, and then working through to the sort of clampdown and a complete reinterpretation of the texts. The um, open, uh, opening up again in Europe in the latter part of the 19th century, and then skittishness about it. And then you contrast a lot of the changes with the North American experience, especially the US experience. And the US is very, very different than Europe, both in its history, which is shorter, but also in what drove the change in attitudes, either for less tolerance of naturism or more tolerance of naturism over a period of time. So she was fascinated with that long stretch of historical change. And we ended with um, the statement, it was an extract that uh, is in a, collected, a collection of essays, on John Paul II's statement on modesty. Uh, indicating that even in Roman Catholicism, this has been a very fluctuating issue and without uh, a longevity for any particular position on it. The evangelical approach to it is much more difficult to fathom or to see much in the way of change. All you can say there is that when you take a look at the sociological literature, the greatest access to internet pornography which is in Utah in the US, as it turns out. Uh, the lowest is, I believe it's New Jersey. The number of teenage pregnancies out of wedlock are vastly higher in those communities than they are in um, other comparable communities. So if you adjust for social status, you adjust for income. They're much, much greater, which suggests that there's something going on in the repression of aspects of human expression when it comes to the body. So you are also uniquely positioned to uh, understand what young people are thinking today. The, the criticism always is young people aren't interested in naturism and uh, that it's just old people that are in naturist clubs. What's your point of view on that? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. I suspect that it's easier when people get older there will be people that grew up in a naturist environment and many of them will stay uh, within that naturist environment. Uh, but many people come to naturism, it seems, later on, after they're somewhat established. Many after their careers are not gonna be jeopardized by somebody knowing that they're a naturist. And when they become more comfortable themselves with their bodies and with uh, nudism, as a way of becoming comfortable in your own skin, so to speak. And young people, there's a fair amount of, uh, if, you, if you look at the degree to which uh, young people are quite openly uh, sexually active, it's clear they don't have a lot of problem with being naked in front of other people, in fact, with multiple partners. But naturism itself is not something that's been promoted. And I think I was at a discussion yesterday at one of the workshops here at the festival, and uh, it was around uh, why do people not tell others that they are naturists. And I think that's a huge impediment to young people because there are lots that 
just won't let it out. They won't let people know that they go to a naturist resort. And without role models, they're not going to get into it without people bringing them, without people talking about it, telling them why they do it. It's hard to get the next generation. And that's true of all kinds of things in terms of role modeling. So uh, with regards to your course then, uh, which is potentially a role model or a source of information for young people, what's the future? Uh, I'd like to do the course again. Uh, I, I'm moving into semi-retirement, so uh, my time for teaching is more limited. And so I, if I do it, I might have to do it as a course that I do for nothing. I just do it as what we call an overload course. But I'd like to do it again, and I think that I would contemplate doing it at the undergraduate level, knowing the difficulties that I will face with students coming for a variety of not perhaps um, academic interest reasons. Because I think it will, it will make a difference. And I, early on, to go to a different domain, was very involved in increasing the number of women participating in university, especially being hired in, on, as faculty members. And uh, the only way in which we were able to change things was to have the, in, the, it was very hard on the women, but the women who had been hired to ask them to be a, an extra special kind of role model for women to participate in uh, groups for younger women, graduate students, females, and undergraduates, and to uh, help them to see there's a career in academia, because if they don't see there's a career in academia, they're not going to think they can pursue it. And uh, role models are important across the board, and naturism is no exception. So as I was saying, I'm always keeping an eye out for journal articles. I've collected hundreds of them, and dissertations, and uh, any kind of academic work, either on naturism, nudism, or topics related to that, attitudes toward the human body, nudity, that kind of thing. I find they're useful. Um, they're useful in terms of helping us think and understand, uh, helping us evolve the thinking behind the movement or maybe clarify it. But also it helps whenever you get into a debate because when you can actually pull out facts, scientific facts, nobody can argue with you. With regards to children, you know, I, I spent hundreds of hours going through all the journal articles I could find on children and nudity. And I could not find one that was negative. And I really wanted to find that one article that was negative because a negative article is just as important in a debate because you have to be prepared for it if your opponent brings it up. But I could not find a single article. In fact, the most cynical interpretation of any of those would be that it was uh, there was no impact whatsoever. But most of them really showed uh, some indication of a positive effect which, of course, is nature, as we all agree. But having that volume of evidence, and that's one of the articles that Mark Story wrote about uh, in uh, Going Natural magazine, um, having that evidence it makes a powerful argument why naturism is good, is good for children, certainly why children shouldn't be uh, blocked from it or prevented from attending. Um, and and it's, it allows you to really elevate discussion and debate to... Uh, a really much more important level, whether you're discussing it with your neighbor or you're discussing it with lawmakers or anyone for that matter. So 
it's important to have these articles. It's important to read them. It's important to understand them so that you can uh, either use them to support your argument or to be prepared to fight against them. Uh, one of them was in The Biologist, a UK-based uh, journal. And it was about uh, self-esteem um, and how the image of self-esteem, uh, the imagery that people see uh, out there, affects self-esteem. You know, there's, there used to be a lot of talk about how what people saw in the media didn't really impact them, didn't change them, but that's really changing. And this is, article really goes through that and how women's self-esteem in particular is hurt by all this media imagery. Now, th this may not seem like anything new to most of us, and it certainly is not directly naturism, but of course it is the naturist message. And a, the idea that self-esteem is negatively impacted by the media and the quote-unquote perfect bodies and imagery of what you're supposed to look like and how you're supposed to be has a negative impact. Obviously, the inverse is true when you take that uh, information, that if you are exposing people to all types of body, i.e. what happens in a naturist environment, and they can see the differences, it's got to have a positive impact. So I'll put a link to where you can find this article, but unless you uh, have access to databases, it can be a little tricky. This article, uh, as I said, was published in October of 2010. That's volume 57, number three of The Biologist. And the author is uh, Eric Sigmund. And it's a very interesting read. So similarly, as I said, the opposite must be true. And another uh, 1997 dissertation uh, that was done by Richard Pearl um, comes to the conclusion that very specifically exposing people to the ideals of, of nudism and naturism, the, the, the body image, the body equality, the values, uh, would help people. And they actually did an experiment where they split people into two control groups. Um, and in fact, half of each control group had been sexually abused. And all they did was had presentations done uh, about naturism to them. Not, they didn't participate in it. And that in itself had a positive impact on their self-esteem, their body views, their self-esteem. And the idea that, it, and, and they suggest a lot more research is necessary, is that uh, the ideals of naturism and maybe naturism and nudism itself could be an effective tool in the treatment of sexual abuse victims. And that's, that's, that's a fascinating concept. Uh, but one which I'm not unfamiliar with because we actually have a member here at Bear Oaks who was sexually abused when she was young. And you might think that if you're sexually abused, you might want to hide your body. You might be very uncomfortable with nudity. But in her case, um, it was therapeutic. It was the opposite. She came to naturism because it allowed her to regain power and control over herself. Her name is Sandy, and she agreed to talk about it uh, for the podcast. Hi, my name is Sandy Hessel, and I'm 60 years old. So, Sandy, I understand that when you were younger, something really horrible happened to you. Yes, I was abused. So, can you tell us a little bit more about what happened? Uh, it was a family doctor that was sexually abusing me from age 10 until about 20. And what, what effect did that have on you? Uh, all through school, I was terrified... Uh, of boys, of men. I overdressed with undershirts, t-shirts, turtlenecks all the time, plus whatever else I had to wear. Like we wore skirts or dresses and skirts back then, so there'd be a dress over top of the turtleneck and the undershirt and the t-shirt. 
and then the jackets and holding my books up against my chest to protect myself. I did not want to be a girl growing up. I wanted to be a boy. And somehow, despite all that, you became a naturist at one point. When I met the, this new boy that I'm dating, man, uh, and he one day we were just driving along and it was very hot out. He had no air conditioning in the pickup truck. We passed a pond. He knew that you could go swimming there. And I said I didn't have a swimming suit. And he said, don't need one here. And I, it was like the whole world just opened up to me all of a sudden. It was freeing and I felt safe with him to do this. And swimming in the water was just incredible. I just, I couldn't get enough. And when we went home that same day, I Googled nude places for swimming and found Glen Echo. How many years ago was that? Uh, 1998. So how, how does naturism make you feel relative to the experience when you were younger of the abuse? Extremely safe. It's the safest place I've ever found. And I, I refer to it as like my home because out in that other world, you don't feel safe because men are undressing you all the time with their eyes or their inappropriate jokes about your body size or parts of your body, and that's accepted out there. But when I come back to Bear Oaks or a nudist place with other naturists, it's not like that at all. People actually speak to you, they talk to you, they look in your face, they, under, they want to know what you think. They don't care what you look like. And it's just very, very safe. So you understand that even people who have not suffered the horrors that you had to go through uh, think that the problem with taking all your clothes off is that you're, you're more vulnerable. You don't feel that way? Totally the opposite. I feel more vulnerable with my clothes on out in society because you're, the media wants you to dress up, that you're never good enough. You have to wear this makeup. You have to wear this style of clothes. You have to wear these shoes in order to look good. And to look good, that means you're looking good to the opposite sex, and that means that they can, that that's what they're also being trained to look for is women who are dressed like that or made up like that. And it's just so plastic and wrong. I, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. So when you, uh, you've gone through this and you've obviously uh, managed to heal yourself to a certain extent, are you still affected by it? By the abuse? Yeah. Oh, yes, very much so. It's still there. I'm not sure it'll ever go away, but I've been learning to cope with it is, is how I'm doing it. But to be in a nudist environment is so much safer, so much f more freeing to your mind, and you don't have to worry about things. So what would your advice be to uh, women who've suffered abuse as well, sexual abuse from at the hands of others? Get counseling and try the lifestyle. Try Come out to a, a swim or to a nature's place, and just see what it's like because it is so different from the rest of the world in the way that you're being treated, the way you're expected to be, the way you're expected to, to act. It's all different. It's more natural, very much. You can be you. Well, you've got the empowerment over your body then. And actually, in the nature's environment where I am, uh, the men would be thrown out for trying anything that they would probably want to do out on the street, and some men do do out on the street. But here, uh, it's not allowed, it's not permitted. The men know that. They're more, they're more grown up, they're more mature than the men out in the, in the social world, that they can control themselves. But, but surely sometimes people 
men come here with the wrong intentions. Uh, isn't that a problem or a concern? Yes, and they're found out immediately because they just stick out like a sore thumb. They are very nervous. They're usually hiding behind a towel or behind trees, or they're found very quickly and thrown out. The, the average person here does not have to worry about it. Someone will find them, report them, they'll be gone. So the, what, even though people think that this would be the worst thing you could do if you've been sexually abused, you think it's the other way around? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It, it's so freeing and uh, empowering. Gives you the confidence because I didn't have any confidence before. I thought I was never, the, never right. I was, everything I did was wrong. It, it was always my fault. And here I feel that I've got the confidence to try new things, to um, speak my mind and not be laughed at. Well, that's all for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. My name, again, is Stéphane Deschaines. I am your host for this podcast and this episode of The Naturist Living Show, and I'm also the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. You can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes, and the show notes are found on the show website at naturistliving, one word, dot bear oaks, that's B-A-R-E, bear oaks, of course, dot C-A. And if you keep sending your comments and suggestions, I always enjoy reading them. You can send them to our email address, which is naturistliving, again, one word, at bareoaks, that's again, B-A-R-E, bareoaks.ca, because we are in Canada. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bareoaks.ca.